Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero. I am joined once again, similar to last time after the Wake Forest game, by Shane Nash. And this is actually pretty interesting because I can't remember the last time before postseason, before like ACC tournament and NCAA tournament, that I recorded three after three consecutive games. The Georgia Tech game was because I just wanted to kind of update everything that had been the, the all-decade stuff, and I hadn't talked about the current team in a while. Then um, the Wake Forest was kind of to, to get uh, Shane involved, and uh, plus just to talk more about, get other opinion, get another opinion besides myself. But now, after barely escaping Georgia Tech, the next time they travel down south, uh, playing Clemson, they go down. And uh, to me, it is always interesting to see the reactions when Duke loses, to be honest. As I was telling Shane before we started recording, uh, I really don't get into too much of uh, looking into how other people react after Duke wins. But when Duke loses, I am interested because there could be something that I didn't see. There could be a lot to learn. Not that there wouldn't be after Duke wins, but... I think especially after a game like Clemson, there was definite things which to me aren't being talked about that I feel should. So I brought Shane on to get to get into it. And uh, yeah, I mean, with Duke having a big game versus Louisville coming up, I don't think many expected uh, Duke to be going into Louisville with a loss. But that's how it is. That's that's the type of. Uh, crazy things that could happen this year in in the world of college basketball. So Shane, thanks for joining me. And what are some of your overall opinions, narratives about the loss to Clemson? got to start with the defense. I think defense was just as bad as I've seen it. (laughs) Maybe since the Stephen F. Austin game, in some ways it felt worse than Stephen F. Austin game, but the defense was was bad in almost every way. Each player seemed like um, maybe Go- maybe Jordan Goldwire maybe had the best defensive game as an individual, but every time somebody good happened on defense, it was an individual performance, not really a t- not really a team stop. And uh, th- I think any kind of anything you talk about with this game just kind of have to start with the defense. So. No, I totally agree with that. I think the most common error I see. Um, in general, not with everyone, but just in general, is to always go back to the offense. Hey, they missed some free throws. They missed some layups. Well, while those two things are true, obviously they're undeniable. This team, from the beginning, pretty much every Duke team in history goes as the defense goes. So while there might be some offensive issues, especially what I'll concentrate on is the end-of-game stuff where it's kind of just stagnant. But uh, outside of that... It was good enough. You are, I, I 100% agree with you. The defense was the issue. And it's, it's kind of amazing when you look at the second half. Uh, Max, Sims, and Newman for Clemson combined for uh, 15 of 21 field goals in the second half, 12 of 15 inside the arc, 3 of 6 from deep. Everyone else for Clemson combined to shoot 0 of 6. So you would think, um, I mean, it's kind of, it reminds me, not necessarily of the skill sets, but like the 2010 Duke team, where it's three dudes just scoring all the points. So you're wondering, like, how can you not stop three guys? And uh, it has a lot to do with just Duke's interior, which has been a problem before. I don't think was, has been exposed as much as I initially thought, but I have talked plenty about it in terms of, uh, the issues, uh, defending inside, and how certain guys get caught in no man's land. Um, so let, let's let's start with the biggest thing for me that I don't think is being talked about is depth is obviously being mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. With uh, Joey Baker spraining his ankle, I believe he stepped on Javon Delorier's foot uh, in practice before the game. I think Kay, he's not being, shockingly, he's not uh, revealing too much information about it. But I think he said he hopes he'll be there for Louisville, but it didn't. there wasn't really too much. I don't think he's going to be available just in terms of the way Kay said it, but you never know with Kay. So I am not, I don't know, it's worthless to predict anything, but I'd be surprised if Baker plays. Just hopefully it's a uh, lower ankle sprain, not a high ankle sprain. But either way, so there's not him, there's not uh, Wendell Moore. So if you're just thinking about depth 
then it's just Duke's missing two guys. And so they didn't have other guys to come in and rest um, the ones who were playing. The rotation's thinner. And, uh, yeah, it just it messes up everything. But that's not it, at least in the, from my perspective. It's how, the, uh, it's how the depth is affecting anything. Because just to have guys who can come in and provide minutes doesn't mean they'll provide them the way you need against that specific opponent. So this game, to me... Let's uh, let, let's kind of uh, rewind back to Virginia Tech. Duke's up uh, 66-57 with 4:23 left. Landers Nolly, he's facing up Wendell Moore. Hit, went, hits Wendell with a forearm and is called for a flagrant foul. Moore makes the two free throws. Alex O'Connell then hits a bomb, and it's essentially over. Which was a pretty good representation of Duke's second half lineup switch, and how Moore, according to Virginia Tech coach Mike Young. He really got under uh, Landers Nolly's skin, and uh, Nolly didn't handle it well. And, yeah, that was uh, still kind of a December game, and Landers, Landers Nolly is a freshman, so everything's a learning experience. I think it just goes to show Wendell Moore, his versatility, made a huge impact in that game. And, to, and uh, Virginia Tech was doing the same thing as Clemson, spreading five out. So for this game, it was like Virginia Tech all over again to me. There's no denying the defensive impact he made at the four spot for Duke. You put him at the four against Clemson, that's that, that's huge. And also, while uh, Baker, while his stats may not have represented on offense, I thought was also fantastic versus Virginia Tech. I've said, I mean, yeah, there are some foul issues, gets a little foul happy, but I think his defense has been uh, pretty actually underrated um, this season as, as long as he uh, maintains his awareness. So not having those two... The impact, that's what it was. I mean, when you look at Virginia Tech and compare it to Clemson, Virginia Tech, just a li- they're a little more skilled on offense, and they have that kind of go-to guy in uh, Landers Nolly. But at the, same, at the same time, I think there's a lot of similarities that can be made to show exactly where that depth would have helped. So uh, how do you feel about that comparison and uh, in terms of, how Wendell Moore would have fit in. Do you think he could have played the four versus Clemson? And do you think Baker could have made a big impact? It's a comparison I hadn't considered before, but I think I I love Wendell Moore, the idea of Wendell Moore playing at the four. Um, And I think he certainly, I mean, he couldn't have been worse than Matthew Hurt was at the four. Um, But, Wendell Moore on defense is that's the best thing about him so far this season. I mean, he's been inconsistent on offense, but the defense, he kind of brings the defense every day. Um, and that's what we needed last night. Um, although I don't know that, I don't know that it was this kind of like one person, even if it was Wendell Moore would have changed the game. It seemed to me like the communication wasn't good either. Um, and I mean, if Joey Baker could have come in and, and hit a couple of threes or, or free throws, that would have been nice too. But, um, but yeah, I don't think it comes down to one guy necessarily. I think it was just the team defense was, was not good. The communication, uh, was not, was not good. You could sell on rotations, those soft doubles again, where nobody rotated to pick up the guy under the basket. It was, it was kind of disgusting to watch, but. Yeah, I mean, when you think about half-court offenses, I mean, to average a point per possession in half-court is it's a heck of a day, and that's exactly what Clemson did. They In 70 possessions, they scored 70 points, shot 27 to 47, above 50%. The surprising thing was actually in transition, where Clemson is a very efficient team, they, uh, in 10 possessions, they scored nine points, so that's under. So it's, it wasn't like they were running Duke around. They were just straight beating them in uh, the half court. The thing that I would say in terms of what you said about communication, lobs, baseline, out-of-bounds plays, in uh, six possessions, Clemson scored 12 points, and that was an issue with communication and just not calling out the switches. Overall, I still think it was more just strictly half-court sets where Duke – had the biggest problems, but okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, the the blobs, especially when it got down to crunch time, where everyone's just kind of trying to uh, find any way to score. I think that was a big problem. Quickly, just to go over um, 
some stats. I talked about Clemson. Duke in the half court, very different, scored on only 19 of 59 possessions. So I talked about Clemson. They they only had, let's see, uh, um, yeah, I mean, so Duke scored 19 of 59 possessions for 42 points, shot 17 of 41. And uh, Clemson actually did play zone on nine possessions. Duke scored nine points on those. So point per possession there, shot four of seven. So it was against Clemson's men, where 51 possessions, 33 points, 13 of 34 field goals. That's awful. And then we, I've talked so much about Duke have, struggling in transition. They were amazing in transition. They were amazing. They, in tw- in uh, 18 possessions, they scored 27 points, shot 10 of 14. So we t- so there's always kind of trying to figure out with this team, there's not going to be guys who can just get a bucket a ton. I've talked many times about that. So how are they going to get easier shots? I mean, there's transition. They did that really well. Then uh, some other aspects, second chance points didn't come. So that has been something that uh, Vern, Big Vern, he's been responsible for a lot of the time, getting Duke second chance opportunities. This game, though, no. uh, in, the, in the first half, there was uh, three offensive rebounds, six second chance points. I think most of them were in like the first couple minutes. Then the second half, there was only one offensive rebound, two second chance points. So really nothing off that. And uh, you think about other ways to get uh, easier points, free throws. Free throws, first half, six for nine, no issue. Second half, four of 11. And I think this is uh, what a lot of people are concentrating on. And, yeah, they need to make the free throws. And especially Vern, he uh, made the first two that he shot in the second half, then went through an 0 for 5 period. But do you, uh, how many free throws do you think they shot under nine minutes? Uh, within under nine in the second half? Yeah, just just to guess. I'm like I, I'm, I'm I, not expecting anything. Just to, I'm curious. Just out of, off the top of your head. Um, maybe four. Jack White was one of two, so that's the only free throws they shot under nine minutes. So when it came down to it, yes, I understand that in crunch time, that's not all that matters. Everything throughout the game matters. But the bottom line is they weren't getting to the rim. They they weren't getting to the rim to have the chance to even get to the free throw line. So did they lose this game because of free throws? At least based on the crunch time in terms of what happened during that period of time, I would say there's other aspects in it. And again, it all goes back to the defense. So uh, with Duke's stats and three-pointers, eight for 20, first half, three of eight, second half, actually Goldwire made a couple. And uh, the, the I would say the star of the game, Jack White, um, he, he made a couple bombs. So that was nice. They shot five for 12. So that gave him a couple... Uh, free points there and I think that helped because as has typically happened with Duke when it gets down to crunch time it just gets into iso ball and it was it was tough to find anything during that period of time I'll I'll give you one more stat then I will uh, ask for your opinion on Duke's offense because I do want to really focus on the defense all right so uh, in terms of the offense Jack White, uh, well, let's see. Uh, Cassius Stanley hit a uh, jumper at 816 to put Duke up 59 to 56. Then after that, until Goldwire uh, 203, the only Duke points, you think about all the options, the only Duke points are Jack White, he hits a uh, jumper at 636, he hits a layup at 419, and he goes one of two at the line with 239 left. So from 8.16 to 2.03, the only person who scored any points for Duke is Jack White. So because I do want to concentrate more on the defense, let, let's just quickly, um, or not, doesn't have to be quickly, but what are your opinions of the Duke offense or how they did last night? Uh, well, last night, especially in real time, the turnovers were a big concern. Um, and, and the free throws were a concern as well. But as I watched the game another time, I realized that the turnovers really didn't result in a lot of points for Clemson. They didn't get out on the break and, and capitalize off those. So the turnovers were kind of frustrating. And I, I think Clemson ended up having one more turnover than, than Duke as well. So that kind of ended up not mattering that much, even though it was frustrating, although I'd still missed opportunities. Yeah, I would just uh, argue it's a lost possession. Uh, but then one of the other things I noticed was um, – one of Duke's best defensive lineups 
in the second half was Vernon Carey, Javin Delorier, Jack White, Jay Golden, Trey. Then that that squad actually got Duke the lead again while Cassius Stanley was in foul trouble. But that had a hard time getting points out of that because, I mean, Jack and Javin, well, except, I mean, Jack can hit threes, but Javin and, and Vernon, you know, that that clogs things up. Jordan Goldwire's not really a scoring threat. Um, so the offense, there was very little off-ball movement, which was something Clemson did a fantastic job of throughout the game, moving off of the ball, cutting to the basket at the right time, uh, I mean, it was it was a little frustrating to watch the offense actually, just because they was pick it was just pick and roll, almost every you know that was the only really action they got was somebody setting a screen for Trey Jones, and then they tried to see what would happen off of that. Uh, well, offense didn't didn't do much for me in this game. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about the turnovers. Is is the highest turnover rate since uh, since Winthrop? And when early in the season, kind of they, they turned the ball over a bunch against Kansas, against Stephen F. Austin, against Winthrop. And I've mentioned Stephen F. Austin a bunch. That was more at the way, like at the way beginning of the game. And then in overtime, they didn't turn it over as much as people seem to want to remember. But, uh, yeah, so it was the worst uh, turnover rate since Winthrop. It's the lowest offensive rebound rate of the season by a wide margin. The offensive rebound rate dipped below 25% only twice this season. Uh, once at 23.3% versus Georgia Tech, and then yesterday, 125 at Clemson. So it's been way up there, and uh, yeah, only recently has it switched, and that's we were talking about after the last game against uh, Wake Forest, even though Duke had a pretty easy time. We've noticed Vern against bigger guys and bulkier guys. He is struggling a bit more with the physicality. The thing with the offense that is frustrating me the most um, is the entry passes and just the whole post game in general because it's something that really Duke never had to deal with a lot last year. And then all of a sudden versus Michigan State in the lead eight, they started trying to enter in to like Zion to whoever. And it's obvious they, they just weren't, they either weren't good at it or hadn't worked on it much. But either way, it was bad. And of most of their turnovers against Michigan State in the lead eight, they were from entry passes, just really bad, just bad entry passes or bad angles, just not under like uh, the post player not sealing off. I mean, mm. it, can, it can it has to do with uh, it can be multiple aspects of why a turnover happens, and that's, it's. I'm sorry. That's something I noticed in this game too. Um, Car- Vernon Carey didn't seem like he was really getting as deep into the lane as he wanted before he caught the pass. And he's not really moving the defender when he when he makes his bumps and and pivots. He's not moving the defender. He's not gaining any ground or getting close to the basket. And you can tell if you're watching in the, in this game, especially Sims was definitely moving carry around on the block and getting to where he wanted. Sometimes before the pass even came in, he was deep into the on that block, exactly where he wanted the the, the ball. And so that's another thing. Like if we're gonna feed the post, then Carey needs to do might need to do a better job of getting position before he catches it. Yeah, it's it's more than strength. It's knowing how to use your strength. And and once the ball gets into him, then it's a matter of there's nothing going on. So I've noticed he's not exactly the most proficient passer out of the post at this point. But as I've mentioned before on previous pods, it's important to understand. If Coach K is telling the truth, which I'm sure he is, at least on this, Vernon Carey hasn't played in the post before summertime of uh, this year. So, uh, I mean, Carey's learning everything. So he's kind of figuring things out. But the guys who are options for him to pass to, they're not helping either. They're not, there's no movement. So he's not a great passer out of the post, but they're not doing anything. So it ends up just completely stagnant. And like you said with, Trey getting some high screens at the end of the game or just throughout the game. I mean, yeah, he's the only one who's really there's being action created for. I mean, that's again, I, I don't know why they won't give Cassius more action because it seems to me like he's taking up more of the ball handling duties now that Wendell Moore is out and he's he's being more aggressive and I love it. 
But if he's being asked to ISO every time, that's tough, man. That's tough. So, And he's still being pretty efficient, which I can't be more impressed with. Give him some high screens. He's getting nothing. I mean, especially with, like, Jordan Goldwire, he's not going to be creating much offense. I mean, Goldwire props to him. Hit a couple bombs, but there needs to be something going on. I mean, I've always said K needs a plan B. If you're not going to be able to base everything off of playing off Vernon Carey, there has to be something else you can do. And there didn't seem to be much of anything yesterday, which is why it was... I mean, I was impressed with uh, Goldwire hitting a couple, and then Jack White hit a couple. But as I mentioned, if Jack White's the only guy scoring for six minutes and down the stretch, something's off. Something's really off. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the points per possession, it's dipped below one point per possession three times this season. Kansas, Stephen F. Austin, and Clemson. So hmm. it's not surprising there. And uh, the points per possession allowed on defense has gone over one point per possession twice. Stephen F. Austin, and Clemson. So, yeah, I mean, there's stats that definitely make it obvious what's going on. But in terms of the defense, um, I thought you made a great point. In terms of uh, the uh, Carey-Javin lineup, whoever they were with, when they were together, they outscored the opponent 12-6. Pretty much uh, most every other lineup was getting outscored. So that's something I, I, I really I, I like that you brought up because that was going to be one of my main talking points. Why don't you think they that K kept him on more or longer? I think um, Javin was the one that he subbed out when Cassius Stanley came back in, um, which, I mean, Cassius Stanley is a great defender too, but he had four fouls. And it took a couple minutes for Clemson to figure it out, but when they figured it out, they went – at Cassius Stanley and we're trying to get, I mean, they were like, hey, we're either going to foul you out or we're just going to score on you because you don't want to foul us. And I think Cassius Stanley, even uh, towards the end of the game, he probably, maybe he should have intentional fouled to stop the game and get some free throws, but he didn't. And probably because he didn't want to foul out. Um, I thought that was kind of strange, but I think that's why is they wanted Cassius Stanley's offense, and so they took Javin out because Jack White was scoring. So, I guess that's I guess that was the thought process behind that. I don't know. I, I thought it was actually K took uh, he took uh, Javin out um, because that was when Vernon Carey. After that, I think it was like after a break came back and Vernon Carey actually made a steal and and dunked in transition, but then I think Clemson started to come back, and Duke was on something like a 14-3 to run, and they had all the momentum at that point. So from then on, they, those two never played together again. And yeah. honestly, I don't care who else is around. I understand that uh, there could be some communication issues or whatever, but I think it really comes down to I think Javin was better suited for that type of game on defense. And they were just so desperate for offense that they couldn't, they couldn't take Vernon Carey out. So it was kind of a uh, give and take. And honestly, I thought it worked actually. Not perfect, uh, but it worked well enough when they were playing them together. Because it just, I, I mean, Vern was struggling. I mean, he, as I've said, he has a tendency to kind of get caught in no man's land, and he kind of gravitates towards the ball, which allows his man to uh, kind of roam away towards the rim, which often happened when Duke would get back screened. And it's just, Vern was, I don't want to say he was the main cause of the defensive struggles, but he certainly didn't help. And I think Trey was a little less productive on defense than typical. Mm. I, w I don't really base that just like a, it's not something you can look at a stat sheet and say steals or whatever. I, that's That can be misleading. He that's a noisy stat. He got beat off the bounce with no screens multiple times in this game. And yeah. maybe he thought there was help behind him, and there, <laughs> there never was, but and maybe that's why he ended up letting the guy go at some point. But he got beat off the dribble multiple times. And that was kind of strange, too, because – uh, I think I think Goldwire is the only one who I didn't see get beat off the bounce the whole game. Maybe Jack White. Well, that Matt guy hit that step back on him, but that was a pretty good shot. So, 
Okay, let's talk about uh, Matthew Hurt and Alex O'Connell. Uh, I, th I think yesterday after the game, I don't know if it was in the moment or not, but you did text me saying you're surprised they didn't put O'Connell back in. Mm -hmm. uh, you you, you want to go into that a little more? Um, well, after I watched the game again, I kind of understand why they didn't put him back on the floor because he, I mean, he had a couple of good plays in the first half and then he had a dunk late in the second half, but that was set up by Goldwire. He didn't really do anything. He's just a beneficiary of it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he turned the ball over. He was turnover prone. We talked about that in the last podcast that we thought he was doing a little bit better about that, but he was turnover prone in this game and he was bad, bad on defense. He and Matthew hurt, man, they, I mean, they weren't even getting back screen. They were just losing their guys on, on back cuts, back doors, and it happened repeatedly. I mean, I have an entire folder full of video clips this year of just Alex O'Connell getting backdoored, and yeah. it is, it's mind-numbing. because it's just, it's just awareness. If you are going, I mean, if you're going to play in that Duke overplay defense without, and you have to understand what's going on around you at all times, and... I think, uh, I mean, this team, they switch really well. Typically, they communicate really well on the perimeter. It's on the interior where there's issues, and there's been issues from the start. I think they were just covered up based on mismatches, and Alex O'Connell certainly doesn't help because I talk about how usually it's so good on the perimeter. Alex O'Connell, he, he, he is the weak link, I will say, on the perimeter, and uh, Joey Baker, while he's not some, like, lockdown defender, he certainly is better than O'Connell. I, I will say that now. And O'Connell, it's just over and over this keeps happening. And no matter what he can provide on offense, this team is going to win or lose in, in the long term based on their defense. So you have to be able to trust him. You have to be able to trust him. And three years in the system, if you can't trust that he won't just straight up get beat, I, I don't know what to do. So that's like Baker – I mean, it's really easy to say he could have hit some big threes. I think his defense would have helped a lot as well. I, I really do. I, I mean, I think that was a big issue. And Matthew Hurt, I mean, teams are attacking him. And uh, while he did make some adjustments last game against uh, – or two games ago against uh, Georgia Tech to uh, kind of be able to not be taken advantage of, I, I just still think, like, he's going to be a weak link. That's why, I mean, those two guys, O'Connell and Hurt, you need to feed them on offense because you know on defense they're going to be taken advantage of. And Matthew Hurt, it's nothing new. It's not, like, some surprise. Like, the awareness is just really lacking right now. The physicality is lacking. And against uh, these guys like, um, like Moses Wright, uh, Amir Sims, these really versatile guys who can kind of, uh, they are, they can play all the forward positions and just inside. They can they're really versatile. I mean that's something Matthew Hurt's going to struggle with. And if he can't really take advantage on offense, then you have to wonder what he's providing. So again, that's why like a Wendell Moore with with his offensive struggles, it's still what he would provide on defense is just a whole different level. So yeah, I, I thought that was big. Uh, let me ask, do do you feel like Duke should have played? Uh, I think they played two possessions of zone. I, I didn't have enough time to rewatch everything to see when those were, but uh, do you think they should have tried more zone? Mm, I don't. I, I can I don't know. Um, I don't think it would have helped if they didn't start talking. Is it? It's the communication. I think. Um, I do think Alex O'Connell plays better defense in zone when he does in man. So that's I mean, that's something, but. Yeah, you might be right. I hadn't really thought about that. But, yeah, I mean, just to help up top because once they get down low, yeah, you're dealing with uh, – I, I mean, there was a lot of – a guy like Mac. I mean, he went behind so many ball screens which were just – weren't communicated by – I mean, Carey and, and Hurt, it just wasn't communicated well. And, and with Javin, I thought there were times on defensive possessions that uh, he did lose guys on the on – the, on the cuts, but in the second half, there was only one, one possession. I, I'm, I, I can't quite remember exactly which that was. I think it was actually when his man, it might have been Mac, when he uh, kind of, 
he acted like he was setting a screen on the left wing and then all of a sudden darted to the rim and it was it almost acted like a uh, a um whatever it's called a uh, the what what is the, what is the term I can't even remember, but uh, yeah, I mean, he he lost his back back wait back door back door yeah okay I am crazy all right yeah so it acted as a back door but from the left wing that was pretty bad but besides that I actually thought Javin did really well when he was in and Duke let up points I don't really think he was uh, among the culprits responsible for that I I would say on defense otherwise. Did you watch the play at 1847 left with Cash just getting called for his third foul? Mm-hmm. Do you think, that, do you think he was outside of the circle? Uh, I think it was pretty close. That one was like I don't think I don't think that one was, should really should have been called, but the the one he got a minute or and a half later was pretty bad. That yeah, was. I mean it's it's tough because I mean when he stood on his tiptoes on the on the replay. It almost it looked like he was out, and didn't they initially call that on Clemson? So it mm-hmm. was. Just, I, I don't know if I'm, I might be missing some context because I mean I kind of I didn't have time to totally rewatch everything, but for them to switch that call, that's a pretty bold move. And then the the fourth foul he picked up that you're talking about, that was Trey just throwing an awful pass. First of all, Trey missed time the pick and roll with uh, Vernon Carey. They actually did have. Um, in terms of uh, they had uh, man, my mind is blanking. Um, today uh, they had uh, the two bigs set up at the elbows. Um, they had whatever the, whatever the set is. Um, and uh, Trey threw a uh, pass right at Cassius Stanley's feet, and then Stanley went down to get the ball, and they called a foul on him. I don't know if he was like reaching out or what, but I mean, two plays like that. I mean, he just he actually blames himself. For Duke's laws, I think that's a little harsh, but yeah, I mean, if if I think he is Duke's, I know this is probably an uncommon opinion, but at least in the college basketball world in this season, I think he's Duke's best defender, um, and I think not having him be aggressive because of the four fouls, it absolutely did hurt everything. I mean, there were guys driving in on Cassius and scoring at the rim. I haven't seen that this year, and. Yeah. Yeah, so he just wasn't able to play as he normally would. So, horns, horns, that's the set I was trying to talk about. My mind is everywhere. Um, so, uh, yeah, in terms of Cassius playing with four, how do you think that affected what happened in the game? I felt like it was a huge problem because, like I said before, we had Kerry and Javin and Jack and Jay Gold and Trey on the floor. They regained the lead, and then Cassius was subbed back in for Javin, I think, and... And then we lost, we lost the lead again, and I mean it's not like we, it's not like Duke was just dominating the game all of a sudden, but they had a three point lead and they were basically maintaining that. But then when Cassius came back in, it took a couple of plays before Clemson figured out that they should attack him, or maybe how to attack him. But once they did, that changed, I thought that changed the game. So maybe it was maybe part of that's because Javin wasn't in talking, but uh, I think probably uh, could be both of those things. So, what do you think was a move that could have possibly been made so that Duke would have won won yesterday that wasn't made? What were you most frustrated about, if anything? Um, how many back screens and back cuts did you see Duke make throughout this game? On offense. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do anything. I mean, they do so, nothing. Their offensive sets are just I, – I, I mean, for years I've been – it's almost – like, I almost don't talk about it enough now because I'm just sick of it. Like, they don't do anything. So, I don't know what to say. I mean, that's why, like, a horn set – like, it makes me, like, so happy. And there's a billion things you could do off a horn set. They don't do much mm-hmm. off it. But in this, at the same time, like, early on in the season, it's it felt like more was going on. Now it's just – it's pretty much dump it into carry or set or set a screen a high screen for Trey and that's it. I think they could even dump it into carry and like he doesn't have to try to score off it right away. He could hold it for a second. Somebody could set a back screen and he could hit a cutter on the to the basket because he's drawn double teams. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a flex screen literally against Michigan State that I thought, like, it's still my favorite play of the season, and it's not that creative. I'll tell you that. But it was just so beautiful. It was uh, Trey setting uh, setting a, a back screen on Jack White's man, him, and Jack White cut to the rim from the baseline and jabbing through it over top for Jack for the dunk. And it's still, like, my favorite play but because of how low the bar is set for Duke's creativity on offense. And it's just got to – I mean, this team needs more creativity – under eight minutes, like they have to be getting something called. They have to with Kay talking about like a quote that frustrates me. Some saying he, he doesn't call plays or he he doesn't coach plays. He coaches basketball players, and I know that sounds like real deep and meaningful in the moment, but like no, this team needs some plays, guy. <laughs> yeah, gotta do both. <laughs> but um, I think that's that's what I would say on offense a little a little bit more creativity on, on offense, a little bit more movement off the ball. As far as defense, I just got, because I watched the game multiple times, I just got so sick of seeing them with those weak traps on pick on pick and rolls and the double teams and the paint that didn't end up amounting to anything except an open basket. And so at some point I, I was like, just wanted to scream at it. It's like, stop double. <laughs> you guys aren't doing it good. <laughs> yeah, there was a play with somewhere around, I, I can't remember exactly when, like 15 minutes, 16 minutes, where I'm not sure if Cash. I think Cassius had had three fouls at that point. He was worried about picking up his fourth. Newman, he was just on, he was in the post. He didn't have any advantage whatsoever. Cassius and Vern were doubling him, and he literally just stepped right through, passed it to, um, Passed it to uh, Sims, I believe, for a, for right. a dunk. And I'm just like, that can't happen. And that's exactly what I've been talking about for two straight podcasts in terms of their doubling is just not doing anything. So you've got to be more aggressive. I mean, uh, Vernon Carey, he didn't pick up his third foul till three minutes left in the game. So it's not like he had to worry about fouls at that point. You just you got to be more aggressive or else what's the point of doubling if, a, if somebody has – five seconds at least to look for who they want to uh, pass to or can just step right on through. You have to wonder like, what is the point of the doubling? Is it actually benefiting anything? And that's, it's the same way against Stephen F Austin where they were extending the defense so much, but it wasn't creating any turnovers and it was allowing post entries for the uh, playmaking bigs to uh, make plays to each other. So stop extending out that far. It's like, if something's not, providing any benefit stop doing it or try something different try it in a different way and that's again it's the plan b which sometimes frustrates me about uh what's going on with this team and teams of the past yeah i think uh, they were also they had a, their press was pretty effective um maybe it was it was under 10 minutes i maybe. agree so why do you think they stopped doing it why did they stop doing it I maybe it's because Cash just came back in and they were worried about foul. I don't know. I was kind of, and then I think they they started it again. And they were under, doing it with the two bigs. They were doing it with Javin and Vern. So it's not even like that. And it was working great. And it's it kind at the beginning of the year when I did a podcast with Joe. And I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll give it right back to you. But like he was talking about like, well, this team press a lot more, full court, go at it. And I'm like, they should. They won't. Like you'll see, you'll see kind of various signs against the mismatched teams that make you think like, yeah, they should do this a lot more, and then they just won't. And even with like a bigger rotation, and yeah, I mean, now he's gonna say like, oh, there's not as many guys, so we can't. They weren't yeah. doing it nearly to the potential they could, even when they had more guys. And I don't get it. I don't get why they don't keep it on because I 100 percent. They agree with you. They were it was really working well that full court press. Yeah, I think maybe it was, you know, fatigue or maybe it had something to do with Stanley's fouls or something. But and they did break it a couple of times. Um, I think. I mean, yeah, that's gonna happen. Goldwire hit that three, and then they broke the press real easy, and then Sims or whoever hit another three from the corner, and it was that was a little frustrating, but. But yeah, that that was it worked really well for a few minutes in the uh, in the second half while they were while they were winning. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean uh, you're gonna get burned on occasion. That's just something you have to acknowledge. But 
if you're doubling, you're going to get burned on occasion in that way. I mean, anytime there's a guy open because you're sending more than one in a certain area, yeah, there's going to be some. I mean, it's just it's risk reward, and I think it is worth the risk. But you have to be aggressive. You have to be proactive in making it happen. To just double someone doesn't automatically mean you're going to cause havoc. I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, Vern. I like how he's doubling. Hopefully, he he can. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to make him more aggressive. Somebody's somebody's just got to make him angry. I I joked earlier in the season, and I understand how this could be taken the wrong way if I don't add if I don't 100 add the context of. I kind of I, I I refer to him as the BFG to people like the big friendly giant, and I don't mean that in any like negative way. However, that might be taken in a negative way. I just mean that's kind of like. He, he looks like a really nice dude who's just really calm and kind of – I'm not sure where his mean streak is, but, man, I would love to see it. I would love to see that mean streak because if he ever gets it – and I don't know if it can even be developed. I mean that's one of those things where, I mean, nature and nurture, who knows. But Vern, I mean if he can, if he can just develop a little tenacity, Duke could pick it up to another level. I mean, I mean yeah. It's tough, but uh, yeah, so whether it's the doubles or whether it's press, I do think there's options. So now it's about thinking, like, what do you do with these versatile power forward slash centers combos that, like, Amir Sims, like Moses Wright, like, uh, like we, I mean, there's, there's many more. I mean, Mac, that Duke has had some problems with, the guys that can really make plays off the bounce and can uh, put Duke in some awkward positions, especially Duke's bigs, which might play Matthew Hurt off the court. Because I was I was so excited early in the season to kind of, not to be right, but to just get this opinion out there that, man, Wendell Moore at the four, that's it. That's it. I mean, if you if you can imagine Wendell Moore guarding, whether it would have been, I think he, he would have been fine even guarding Sims at times. Definitely could have guarded Mack. But just it takes away one option. I'm not saying he would have totally taken him away. But in terms of the physicality, again, when I say it's a, it's not just about strength. It's about how you use your strength. I do think that there are times when Wendell Moore possibly would have been able to guard down low better than Vernon Carey. Not, sure, not because he's stronger. But I just think Wendell Moore, man, like that dude, is uh, he's a beast. Yeah, I think offensively we're probably going to be at our best if if Matthew Hurt is playing well and stretching the defense and things. But he's a serious liability on defense, and he's pretty much got to be scoring 20 points a night to make it worth having him on the floor for defense. So Matthew Hurt might end up getting more run at the four later on this year. Um, whenever he comes back. I know he might not even come back till February, but I don't think Matthew Hurt is going to figure it out on defense this year. I just don't – I really don't think he is physically mature enough. Like, his body is just – it's so skinny. <laughs> I don't think he's he's ever going to really get there. He might learn how to be in the right spots, but he's still going to get pushed around. Yeah, and, I mean, his offense – I think it's kind of amazing. I think they ran the first play of the game for him, and they've done that a bunch. And he scored down low. Then I don't think he ever he ever was down low again. He just I think he, he only did, took I mean, that one shot. Huh? I think that's the only shot he took the whole game. Might, might have might have been. I'll have to I'll have to look that up. But yeah, I mean he is. Uh, I mean his value, a lot of the time is just his ability to stretch the floor and hit from three. And I mentioned last pod uh, last episode that. For, for a while, I was like, oh, well, I, I kind of wonder how he'll be when he gets more time when Carey's on the bench, when he can get, like, there's more room in the paint. It's pretty much the same. Like, there's nothing nothing really changes. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Um, I mean, <laughs> his free throw rate is still ongoing. I think it's like nine or ten games at this point. He has, I think in the last ten games, he is 0 of 2 uh, from the line. So... Man, I would just like to see him get free throws just to know he can. That, that, that would be nice. Um, in terms of uh, – I'm not going to pretend I know a ton 
about like the specific Louisville strategy. I mean, I talked about them uh, preseason. Like, I know they're players, but I haven't been able to watch them. So, if you want to talk about specifically what you'd like to see against Louisville and their specific uh, offense, defense, go right ahead. But in terms of also on a general level, what what would you like to? What do you think needs to change the most? What do you? What would you like to see change the most? And what do you think will change the most, if anything? Um, so for general stuff, I th- I think in Louisville's losses, their backcourt has played pretty poorly. Um, I think that's something that could work to Duke's advantage against Louisville. Obviously, between Stanley and Goldwire and Jones, we should be able to shut down most teams' backcourts. So I look. Hopefully, our guards win those matchups. I really don't know. Maybe we'll see a lot of Jack White against Jordan Nora. Um, we also have to worry about how Carey's going to do versus Sutton and Enoch, who are pretty big dudes. Uh, so that should be kind of interesting. As far as what I'm hoping to see, I either hope they figure out how to double team better or they just stop. Uh, because I re- really think like one guy, one guy and help defense coming over at the right time would do better than trying to double these guys. It's just not working. And aside from aside from that, like I said, I think Jack White. I think we'll probably see a lot of Jack White um, on on Nora. Yeah, I was about to say because I mean that would definitely be a Wendell Moore type of matchup right there with uh, Jordan Noir and uh, Stephen Enoch. That could be like a uh, that that could be a, a big Vern matchup. So then you got Malik Williams. He's long. He's the type of guy who kind of will just be there, and I, and he's not strong. I mean, relatively. Um, but I think with like Matthew Hurt, if Matthew Hurts against him. I still think he could give Matthew Hurt a lot of trouble because Malik Williams will be down low, and he's a great shot blocker on defense. He can make plays when necessary, and he can stretch on offense. I mean, you got to wonder how Matthew Hurt's going to do in all the, in all these matchups with versatile bigs. But I do think uh, Carey most of the time will be on Enoch. And I'm looking here, the guy who I thought could be Louisville's uh, X-Factor in the season who was injured – um, at that time, and I said when he gets healthy, he could be their point guard because that's something they really lack is um, is David Johnson. And this is exactly now looking at his uh, recent stats. He's, he's starting to come on now. So, yeah, not, that's unfortunate timing. I mean, he played – he uh, didn't even get double-digit di- double minutes until – December 14th, and you're still coming back. Like, against Kentucky, December 28th, he didn't play at all. But in the last four games, he played 19 minutes against FSU, 11 minutes against Miami, 13 minutes against Notre Dame, and then 20 minutes against Pittsburgh, and you can call that, I guess, his uh, breakout game of swords, scored 11, um, hit, hit a bomb from a deep, four assists, four six free throws. Uh, I mean, three turnovers, three three fouls, but still, he's getting more time. They're trusting him more. I think he's going to be the guy, because Louisville, as you said, I mean, their backcourt, there were questions about that. David Johnson is going to be the guy, so Duke's got to be ready. And it's, again, I guess you could say unfortunate timing, but we both agree we like to see opponents at their best uh, no matter what. Yeah, I think, uh, I know, like, some people don't really, a loss is never really a good thing, but um, Duke will definitely refocus after the Stephen F. Austin loss, and obviously they what, won like eight or nine games in a row. And so maybe this will kind of help Duke refocus a little bit too. Um, I think Co- Coach K said something in the press conference, like he thought his team had, had learned from Georgia Tech like how physical it could be. Um, but sometimes like with the younger the younger these kids are, it's it's like – they don't. They don't really learn while they're still winning. They have to lose to learn. That's kind of a fan, but <laughs> yeah, I'm just not quite sure what the specifics are about that. I mean, there's. I guess that could come off as like, yeah, I get it in terms of like, it can be tougher off off a win because there's always the good vibes. But at the same time, it's tough to learn when you're just. I mean, they're they're put in ISO situations. 
and the the matchups on D, I mean, yeah, they just got to communicate better. But the communication issues are because of certain aspects, like the hurt and carry, and it's just they got to get better. I don't think, like, when Kay says they've got to learn how tough it is to win in the ACC, like, what does that mean? Like, what in the, like I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't think there there's any doubt in terms of how tough it is. I don't think it's just a matter of how much they want it. And I thought the biggest difference from Stephen F. Austin to after was the strategic switches that were made. In terms of, like, just, again, the cliches that I always struggle to understand, like playing with heart, don't care enough, not, like, all that stuff. I don't know. I mean, that can apply in in a sense in certain situations, possibly more in certain games. But overall, this is basketball, and I'm pretty sure they uh, they're they're trying. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I think they're trying. Um, but like, as much as we talked about the offense and how it could have been more creative, they they were still fifty percent shot, fifty percent from the floor, forty percent from three. Like their offense was good enough to have won the game if their defense had been even remotely respectable. Um, and I think I think part of it, that that narrative, maybe the the wording in his offense, the semantics thing maybe, but I think, like, the, I just think how to say this. Uh, I think... You're, they're ready for the game and they know it's going to be physical, but then it's like even more, it's like surprisingly physical for them. And so it kind of knocks them off their game a little bit. And then they're playing, they're not really playing with their uh, full confidence, I guess. So when, Duke, I think, so when Duke went on the run, came back, they were up by like three with, uh, what was it, like six whatever left. And all the momentum was on Duke's side after that 14 to three run. You think at that point after – I'm not saying you do or don't, but at that point after fighting through everything and coming back, they didn't understand it was going to be physical? Because it seemed like they, the game had gone on long enough where they knew what they were up against. I think at that point in time, then it was just some really poor communication, Vern making some tough plays on uh, defense and uh, on offense, just guys standing around, nothing being drawn up the old uh, kind of stand around ISO thing for Duke. So the only offensive thing I would concentrate on is the end of the game down the stretch, like inside of eight minutes when just nothing was going on outside, outside of that. I think it's pretty much all defense from uh, to take away from Clemson. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I will say one thing like for guys who are asking these players questions, Here's the thing, like on the Duke site, it says on what Clemson was doing offensively that was difficult to guard. And Trey Jones answers, I think it just comes down to us, really. It's nothing that they did, really. They didn't do anything special. They weren't different than any other team. They weren't better than any other teams that we beat. It was on us, and we didn't come to play. That's what Trey Jones is going to answer to anything after Duke loses, no matter what. And winning, he'll just flip it. Like, you have to bring up specific aspects of the game when Clemson was doing this how how did how did you guys uh react what was the strategy blah blah blah. if you just let him kind and I'm not saying Trey I'm saying damn near every college and professional athlete if you let them give a cliche they will they will they will and they will love it and then they will walk away happy that they didn't actually have to like say anything more although there are some players I mean that's why like Kevin Durant uh, last season in the playoffs, like it almost seemed like he was really he loved the fact that like a reporter asked him a question, he was like breaking down how it happened. It happened in football also. Like if you show that you are really paying attention to what's going on, say like oh this happened, this specific thing. So how did you guys react to it? Trey Jones, he he's he knows what he's talking about. Like I I don't think he would run from that question. I think that happens too much. And I think his answer annoyed the hell out of me because, yes, Clemson did do plenty different. We've talked about it. And I think Duke, if you want to take away a positive, there, besides the playmaking bigs, I think there are aspects of what teams have been successful against, but they've only been successful one time. And Duke does make some adjustments. 
But at the same time, I would like to know what's going on in these players' heads in terms of the strategy. So, yeah, I think uh, it is possible to ask these players basketball questions, which make them answer in a basketball way. All right, so I, th- I think we've covered everything from one game. Is there anything else you think is uh, worth adding that uh, maybe we missed or should uh, just kind of be given another another uh, explanation? Um, well, there's one thing. Um, a few games ago, I think it was – it might have been the Georgia Tech game – a uh, reporter asked Coach K in the press conference about the free throws. And he goes, I'm not really worried about the free throws. And then he even said, if you remember, one of those missed free throws was rebounded and turned into two points. And I was kind of thinking, like, so that means, what is that? What do you say? <laughs> like, that means so free throws as long as you're going to get the rebounds. Uh, There's a lot of what he says that if you think about it after, you'll reach the conclusion of, like, that doesn't make any sense. And this isn't like ripping gay. This is just like he can. I think you said last time he controls what's going on. He controls the situation. And I think the biggest drawback to what's going on in post game pressers is just the lack of follow up questions. Because I think if there was more follow up questions, I think then all of a sudden like everything would be snapped back to reality. But when these questions are asked, and like he'll, he'll like interrupt him halfway through and just answer however he wants, it's just like that really doesn't tell us anything and i don't know for me i like this i like watching this the team play games and understanding why certain things happen because it's uh, i don't know i just think the how and why is very interesting and with duke it is is the freaking secret service not just with injuries or whatever but with everything so that would be wonderful if questions could be asked which actually reveal information about Duke and all right so hopefully Baker I'm sorry go ahead I said it's not for me it's not even just that it's that Georgia Tech Wake Forest and now Clemson we've been Duke's been terrible from the free throw line in all three of those games so I I wonder how much they're practicing those and even in this game he said that the free throw if they had made free throws it would have saved them because obviously they they missed 10 and lost by seven so if you hit 10 he win the game, but he said it wouldn't have made them worthy to win, more worthy to win than Clemson. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but then other than that, like I just Amir Sims is probably is one of the more unique players I've seen play this year. Want to just he had a great game, uh, you know, kind of give credit to him. Thought he he was definitely a difference maker and kind of remind me of Kerry Blackshear a little bit, but he might have probably a better three point shooter. But it kind of reminded me of Kerry Blackshear, and Kerry Blackshear is the guy that Duke has had problems with the last few years too. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and I mean Moses Wright, kind of the same thing. I would say Moses Wright's not as good a perimeter shooter, but as uh, the ACC, it's not quite at the level, to put it nicely, that it's been in recent years. But there are still some really skilled guys, some really versatile guys, and maybe if, if a bunch of them stay next year. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But uh, now with Louisville, and then uh, we'll definitely record after Louisville because that is a big game. But I don't know. With this team, I just think it comes down to obviously it sounds a lot easier than it is fluid adjustments, game to game, within game. Like if you just allow things to be, then the other team can take control and. I think with this team, there is talent, but you need to know how to use it in the in the correct way. And I think finding that line, finding the lineups. I mean, I still like. I don't understand why Vern and Javin didn't play together more. But uh, yeah, hopefully Wendell Moore can get back soon because I think I, I mentioned after how kind of Duke has that margin for error after uh, Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. But I also said at the same time that it doesn't mean that they are not going to miss Wendell Moore, especially in certain matchups. And then right away, you see, this is one of those matchups because the versatility doesn't exist in other areas. And it's not just minutes. It's not just guys who can give rest. It's not just that simple. It's about what the guys can do. If it was just about guys, then, they, then hey, Mike Buckmeyer would get all the minutes if I was the coach. So. That's just uh, what, I, what I would do. But I, I, I love Buckmeyer, and I would, just, I would start him over. I would bench Trey right now for Buckmeyer because I think that would be the rational thing to do. 
I, I guess fi- finally, uh, we, I mean, we've talked plenty ab- about uh, Vern. Is there anything you feel Trey could uh, improve on right now? I I like Trey a lot. Um, turnover. He had he only had three turnovers last night, although it kind of seemed like more. Well, you know, in real time, it kind of seemed like he was coughing the ball up a lot. I think he had he only had three and maybe two of those were in the first half. Uh, I just I almost feel like there's a just a lot put on his shoulders as far as scoring and running the offense, and it's uh, like sometimes it's like he asks he's doing too much and forcing it, and he's not really a, a guy that can just force it and get you buckets. Um, he's more of like a flow guy, feeling the game out and controlling it. And he can score when he he can score, and he can facilitate and stuff. But that's you know that's you know one of the awesome things about this Duke team is that they can you know you don't know where the scoring is going to come from. It can come from anywhere. But then one of the the flip side of that is that you don't have a guy who can just go get points. And when Duke feels like they need a guy to just go get points, they look at Trey, and he struggles in that in that role sometimes. Yeah, um, I mean, at this point can, in the season, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead if you weren't finished. I said I don't know if there's anything that he can do about it. Um, I mean, he's improved as good as he was last year. He's improved dramatically in almost every way. His steals are up, his shooting is up. Um, he could be better from the free throw line probably, but that's some more recent development. Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think he's doing good. It's just the nature of the team where a lot is asked of him as far as shot making. And I'm not sure that's, that's kind of like asking Chris Paul to go score 30 points every night. It's just not his natural um, niche within the offense. Yeah. I mean, he did have a, that one play, that pull up three where he double clutched and made it. I mean, that was unbelievable. And he can do that on occasion. And the way he's reworked his shot is amazing. But I think uh, that they're going to need to start really giving Cassius a lot more ball screens on offense. I mean, that's what that's what it comes down to. They're going to need to start get, getting more creative with Cassius because in, unless Matthew Hurt in, the, in, the, in certain matchups, he'll be able to stay on and take advantage. And then possibly he can space the offense a little more. It's about guys making the defense respect them enough to allow other guys to make plays. And in order to do that, you have to prove you can you can make it from outside. You can make the perimeter shot. You have to prove you can beat your man off the dribble. Until you do that, the defense is going to be just cheating inside on Vernon Carey. And I would say the biggest number one thing besides Cassius, at least we're talking about offense, because on defense, ugh, um. On defense, they just—I uh, don't—I don't even know, man. Uh, I guess just keep working on that uh, interior communication, the hurt and carry, and hope they get better. Because I mean, even like uh, with Bagley and Wendell uh, Carter, I mean that team struggled. I mean, interior, those guys—they haven't learned the communication necessary in high school, so it's all—it's all brand new for them. But uh, yeah, on offense, I would like more action, more movement off of uh, once the ball is entered into Vernon Carey Mm -hmm. to get a little more creative there, really off-ball action. And uh, hopefully his passing will be adept enough. Because, I mean, uh, there haven't even been many opportunities of him passing out of the post. But I think that would help a lot. So it's not just dump it into Carey, everyone watch, and nothing happens. He had had one nice pass to to O'Connell last night off when he was posting up. O'Connell blew the layup. But that Bernie, was, that, I don't, he threw that from the uh, the corner from the corner three point line. Oh, that that was another one. Yeah, I thought that was a, a really impressive pass and one of O'Connell's better plays since he cut to the basket. But there's are you talking about another? Okay. There's another one. Yeah, he had it on like the left block and he just kind of flipped it over his head, and then uh, O'Connell caught it on the baseline. The timing wasn't super perfect, and then he ended up getting his shot blocked or just botching the layup. But it was a nice. It was a nice look from Carey. It was a nice pass. Nice to see he had that. And it kind of, I mean, that's what we've been talking about. kind of like to see, uh, see how good of a passer he really could be. 
Yeah, work off of him. I mean, it's the same thing I complained about nonstop with Bagley and Wendell Carter in terms of not using their skill sets or potential skill sets to uh, more the best of their abilities. Yeah, and just guys who are versatile, let them be versatile. I think that's what it comes down to. If, if this team is just tray down the stretch, making uh, making decisions without anything else going on, then they're in trouble. But even so, it all comes down to, I still think, uh, their defense. All right, so I, I think uh, we covered everything, even went a little longer than I expected. But, I mean, there's just the, the – there was a lot that was made evident with Clemson. I've talked about everything. That's what's interesting. But I think once it becomes obvious, then it's a whole thing of, like, how do uh, – because you never know if it's actually going to occur. These are, like, potential issues. Are they going to become real issues? And they have. So now that Duke is playing with eight, hopefully Baker comes back soon. It's about uh, how they will adjust game to game. Same thing I've said the whole year. It's about finding ways to win each individual game, taking nothing for granted. If Duke, mur- if Duke murders a team one game, it doesn't mean they're going to do the same next time. So big game against Louisville, and uh, hopefully they come out on top. Shane, thanks for joining me again. So uh, for Duke Basketball Corner, I'm Adam Comero. I'll be talking to you soon.